Greetings and welcome to A Couple of Goons, the podcast where a couple of goons talk about hockey. I'm Neil Payne of 538. I'm one of the co-hosts. I'm joined by my usual co-host, Walt Hickey of Insider. Hey, Walt. Hello. We went with a little bit of a vintage uh, Couple of Goons theme song today. We're throwing it back. I was expecting to hear uh, Brass Bonanza from NHL 94. Uh, (laughs) Also, we are very happy to have as a repeat guest our friend Emily Scherer from 538 as well. Hey, Emily, how are you doing? Hey, guys. Good to have you back on the show. It's fun to be back. Am I the first repeat guest? Yeah, yeah. pretty sure. Yeah, definitely, right? I mean, you were also the first guest. Would, you yeah. were the first guest, so you're like yeah, the first. I, I had a head start. <laughs> So I think you'll be like when we do a third, you know, start running through people a third time, you'll be the first one that we do for that and so on and so forth. Great. Yeah, you'll be. Yeah. So ahead of the track, ahead of the skate, all this kind of stuff. It has been a fun week of hockey. Uh, I got to watch the Rangers lose really badly, Uh, like really just brutally. Uh, It was very, very sad. But you know how it feels after that flyer game last week. Yeah, well, see, Actually, you've known how it felt uh, for for quite a while. It, I mean, it's great. It's uh, that was a great game because the best part is is that it kept getting worse even after we hung up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there was a situation in which the Rangers were up the entire game, and then Alex Ovechkin happened twice, and it was a real tough situation over here in Rangers headquarters of Queens, New York. And um, but yeah, so no, it's been uh, it's been an all right week. We had, we had some fun games. But uh, how about how about you? What have you been watching? Yeah, it's uh, you know, uh been been a little preoccupied with basketball. Uh What's that? so yeah, I know. It's uh, and especially the the same week that they announced the Frozen 4, you know, lineups uh, in in college hockey. You know, it's just it's it's so much going on right now, but no, it's uh, hockey has been pretty good. You know, I wrote about the Sabres today and they've recently lost their 14th straight game maybe by the time people will listen to this they'll have snapped that streak i believe they're playing on our beloved nbc sports network right after the end of this wild versus ducks game that's happening right now uh there's a duck theme also emily you're wearing an oregon ducks shirt the wild when they showed up at the game today they wore the uh the mighty ducks or no it was the ducks (laughs) wore the original mighty ducks uh jerseys (laughs) Uh, as a tribute to, I guess, playing in Minnesota because that's where the Mighty Ducks movie was set. So there's a lot of duck energy happening here. Yes, a lot of duck energy. I think the Mighty Ducks reboot starts soon, um, oh, so yeah. that might have been tied to it. Yeah, um, do you think Disney like bought them those jerseys for the product placement or what? I would not put it past them. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, What have you been watching this week, Emily? Anything good? Um, I've mostly been watching a lot of women's basketball, but also that is because my beloved Boston Bruins have been on COVID uh, protocol and have not been playing. Yeah. After playing a game, they probably, really probably shouldn't have played. Um, And then it just got worse. Yeah, and it was against the Sabres, right? Which is actually kind of makes it miraculous that the Sabres didn't get uh, uh, COVID transferred to them twice by teams on the ice uh, in the same season. (laughs) Never say never. You know, we know this thing has a gestation period, Um, but they haven't had any guys added to the list yet, which actually would maybe be like merciful for them. The more games that can get canceled for them uh, mean fewer chances to lose. 
I mean, less of the season for them to get through and right. it'll just be over sooner. Yeah, that's that's all they're hoping <laughs> for. But enough dumping on the Sabres. I, uh, so I think that we should start off with, uh, you know, we've dumped on the Sabres. Honestly, we have three fans of, of the East Division uh, here, so it's our right to just kind of dunk on the Sabres for a few bit. Uh, but that said, we should talk about the teams that are good in this league. The, 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 the teams that are good are, are some of the wonderful draws of hockey. Neil, who is our team of the week? So the team of the week this week is the Colorado Avalanche. They hey. have uh, improved the most, although they did lose in, I believe, in a shootout uh, against the Arizona Coyotes um, on uh, Tuesday. They have been on a real tear. They've kind of come back from their own COVID uh, pause, uh, and they've added 13 points of ELO rating in the last week. That's the best of any team in the league. They've also added 21 points over the past two weeks. That's also the best in the league. So they are a deserving uh, uh, team of the week for us. Their their odds of uh, winning the Cup are now up to second best in the league. They had been surpa- surpassed by a bunch of teams, including the Bruins at one point, although that seems like a little bit of a memory sorry emily uh <laughs> at this point but the abs are back up into second they've surpassed the vegas golden knights for that uh they have a 12 percent chance winning the cup the lightning still hanging around that like 25 26 mark so uh kind of a dominant season for them uh so far but the uh the abs have been playing great nathan mckinnon had a great game uh, i believe it was on tuesday night I had like a five point game or something, uh, four or five point game. So uh, they're rounding into shape, excited to see them uh, over the rest of the season and certainly in the playoffs. The Avalanche, not not the the favorite team of uh, one of our prior guests who happened to be a Red Wings fan, but I've always had a soft spot for the for the Avs uh, in general because I just like their uniforms and their logo. You know, <laughs> uh, I like that. Like, uh, I think we talked about this on the show last week that they were almost called the Colorado Extreme. Yes, when they moved from Quebec. Wait, was it EX or just an X? I think it was with an E, but like maybe a lowercase E and a capital X and then Treme after that. So it, it was like the most 90s possible name of um, uh, of a team to be proposed. And since they did move from Quebec to uh, Denver in 1995, that's like if you're going to have a team be named potentially the extreme, that would have been the year that you would have had a team <laughs> named the extreme. 1995, the most extreme of all years. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, we could figure I'm that out. Yeah, I don't think you're just shooting from the hip out. of like 95 as the most extreme of all years, but like we could figure that out. Most X games. No, I mean, like, when did the X games launch? I think that was in 1995, right? That sounds about right. Uh, when they, when Neil, the I was X a game. nerd. Do you think I know when the X games started? <laughs> like, Look, the X games were sort of for the counterculture. They were for, you know, alternative people that didn't like, you know, traditional sports. Emily, you have this number, don't you? Um, I have it. It is April 1994. No! This okay, is the peak. Right. This is the start of something. Money was X rushing games. into the X Games. Yeah. X Games 2 was the most lit X Games yet. As so we all that's know. what they saw when they were coming to that. Also, they could have had the plans in the works for the um, for the relocation, uh, you know, at, starting in 1994, after the first X Games, but but not before X Games 2. That's how what I choose to believe about this. <laughs> The uh, this is a this is fun because you always kind of talk about teams that are on streaks, and I think that I've enjoyed this this sport particularly this year 
because um, so uh, you naturally remember this game last week. The Flyers lost nine to zero to a local, uh, well, regional sports team. I should say the Rangers. <laughs> um, I was listening to the post game show on that just because I was elated and didn't shut the television off in anger or fear. And what they were saying there is that every game is a four point game, and I was like, that's. It's interesting stuff because since they're all playing in the same division, if you know your cusp, you go up too and they go down. And so I thought it was really interesting to kind of like the stakes are getting increasingly high as the bubble kind of solidifies, right? Yeah, every two points that you get is two points they don't get, although they might get one point thanks to Mr. Batman. <sighs> Never gonna <laughs> let that go, are you? Anyway. <laughs> Um, this is the 10th episode of a couple of goons. And as our long, as our, uh, as our, uh, longtime goon squad would know, is that, is that what we call our fans? Is that good? I don't know. Is that, is that the right, what they want to be called? <laughs> I think I, I've, I've had, um, for reasons that we can get into later, I've had a lot of, uh, you know, the Looney Tunes acclaimed film space jam on the dome recently. And so I think that goon squad toon squad seems to work out toon squad yes goon squad yes yeah um i think that makes sense every week we talk about a player who has the number of the episode that we are on a process that will continue for approximately 89 more episodes and as a result um neil do you have a thought on who is the best number 10 or the number 10 of the week yeah so i think probably the best number 10 in hockey history belongs to Guy Lafleur. Uh, of the Montreal Canadiens, um, a great player in the 70s and, and into the 80s. Uh, but I don't want to talk about Guy Lafleur because he's not my favorite number 10. No disrespect <laughs> to the flower, you know, uh, great, great player for the Habs. But I think the coolest number 10, because I'm always going to err on the side of the coolest player that had the most of their career in the 90s. That's the, the criteria that I'm going to pick for number number namesake. As we've so, established, the most extreme of the decades. Oh, easily. I mean, is there what other uh, decade even uh, contends with it? So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Pavel Bure of the Vancouver Canucks and, you know, other teams. But I think we remember him as a Canuck, as our canonical number 10. Uh, one of the Russian players that we talked about in our Russian themed episode, that was our Putin approved episode. Uh, but Pavel Bure, man, he was the arguably the fastest player of his era. So one of the greatest goal scorer snipers of his era. And um, he was just uh, a, an amazing number 10. And I believe he did not even want to wear number 10. I think he wanted to wear number 96, 96, another extreme number. Uh, but he was dissuaded from it. Uh, I, I believe the team just assigned him uh, 10. Uh, and he went with that. Eventually, he did change it to, <laughs> to 96. But then he, I think, had a poor season or an injury plague season or something and then moved back to number 10 uh, during his subsequent stints with the uh, with the Florida Panthers. Uh, I think it was a Ranger for a hot second. Uh, <laughs> but shout out to Pavel Bure, great Russian hockey player, uh, goal scorer, and uh, our, our favorite number 10. And by our, I mean my favorite number 10. I don't know. Emily, who's your favorite number 10 of all time? I have to think of who has been number 10 on the Bruins. On that, the Bruins. That's probably right. it. Who was number 10 on the Bruins? Uh, and, and that will give us the answer. Hockey Reference, by the way, I mean, we should shout them out uh, as we're, you know, we shout out our GitHub every week. Uh, but shout out to Hockey Reference because a lot of the stuff that we do 
would not be possible without them. And they have a great database of, you know, jersey numbers essentially for every player who has worn a certain jersey for you know, the league overall, but also for teams. So now, in case you can tell, I was vamping while I looked up the number 10 Bruins <laughs> over here. Their most recent number 10 was Anders Bjork. <laughs> Any fondness for Anders Bjork, Emily? Uh, he played for them. He's, he's currently on them right now, actually, since uh, since 2018. He's been, he's been a number 10 for the Bruins. Let's see. I have probably seen him play for the Providence Bruins, who I saw several times when I was in college there. I also um, have gone to multiple Boston Bruins practices, including uh, Boston Bruins development camp I went once, which was really fun to see a bunch of kids who like were pre, uh, pre-AHL level just skating around. Um, so I probably also saw him there. So some fondness. Yeah, he was on... Right. He was on the um, at age 16 in 2013 uh, up until uh, 2014 uh, when. Yeah. So those years, 16 and 17 uh, year age ranges for him. He was on the U.S. developmental program. Uh, and then he also played for the Providence Bruins from 2018 to 2020. So somewhere in that, you have probably seen Anders Bjork uh, in person play hockey uh, in, in his career. Wait, they sent a Russian 16-year-old to America for... Anders Bjork was born in Wisconsin. Oh, damn it. I'm sorry. I was like, I was, I was like, horrified in the process. Dame. Like, wait, there's a professional person. That's child labor. I'm sorry. I got very confused there. He's from Wisconsin. Oh, well, I do love... Where in Wisconsin? How, yeah. Uh, well, so, uh, Mequon, Wisconsin. M-E-Q-U-O-N. I, I'm not familiar is it a small town? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. There are <laughs> odds I've probably driven through it at some point. So Yeah, um, yeah. You I like Wisconsin a good ties, Providence ties. So Anders Bjork gotta be like your favorite player at this point, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> New favorite player. I think we figured that out. Yeah, just by process of statistical uh, detective work. Uh, by the way, before we leave this, uh, uh, shout out to Hockey Reference. I also love that they just have stats for some of these kids going back to like when they were like 10, 11, 12 years old. I, I, it feels a little weird that they have stats going back then uh, for these players, but it's also like, man, could you picture a young Anders Bjork playing at age 12? <laughs> you got to love that. He's, you know, he's playing some peewee hockey. I don't know. It's As great. someone who's been on um, some Little League stats websites <laughs> and Facebook yes. groups, this doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You've got the Little League World Series Facebook group like on lock and, and they'll post, you know, advanced metrics for Little League World Series players. Yes. Who has the highest WOBA in this in this Little <laughs> League World Series? Some guy on Facebook has crunched that number. Correct. Um, we'll see. I hope there is a Little League World Series this year. Fingers yeah. crossed. I want it. I miss it. It seems like it must be able to happen. Yeah, that seems like the only thing sport four. that should be permitted for a lot of the year. <laughs> like, Yeah. Low transmission rates. They can't you know, spread it. It's outside. They're children. Like, right. <laughs> They're children. Yes, I do believe people are playing. So it's just a question of whether the All-Star Leagues happen, the local tournaments, the state, the regional all of the different ladders that these children have to climb up to eventually get to Williamsport, which to I eventually have us learn their favorite comic character in a awkward cutaway interview. <laughs> my favorite thing, my favorite thing. 
I miss being in the office and just like calling people over when they would do the uh, intro session just to be like, here's all their names. I know. Right. Fun. So the, uh, the next kind of thing that we had on the docket this week was that there's been a bit of controversy and the controversy extends to um, the, 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 the referees uh, and specifically one referee. Um, and I'm just going to level with you. I don't fully understand this controversy, except that it kind of looks like a referee was attempting to throw a game. Um, but what exactly happened and, and why, what did this referee do on a hot mic that got him sacked? Yeah. So I admit, I don't fully understand his motivation and it's not been reported yet, but basically what we know is there's this referee, Tim Peel, He's literally in his last year, like he said he would be retiring at the end of this year um, uh, from from officiating. He's been an official for, you know, uh, a good number of years. A bit of a notorious official, too. A little notorious. Right. Exactly. He's had his sort of uh, controversial moments in the past as well. Uh, And and so in this particular case, he was caught on the TV broadcast saying he wanted to get a penalty on Nashville Emily's second favorite team uh, early in this game. And he was saying this apparently to the Predators bench, which is really odd. Also, I don't know why you would say that uh, to the team that that you just called the penalty. But there was a very kind of divey, uh, you know, play uh, that preceded it that um, he chose to call a penalty on. And everybody was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And then he said he basically was just looking to call whatever penalty he could find. And so the NHL swiftly, quite swiftly, removed him from uh, his his perch as an official in the league and said he won't be officiating any games anymore. Um, and I, I don't know what other ripple effects will come from this, but uh, at the same time, it sort of was saying the quiet part out loud that everybody kind of knows already that referees will selectively look to call penalties if they feel like, in a lot of cases, if there have been a lot of lopsided calls going in one team's direction in a game so far, they'll look to call penalties on the other team to try to even it up. And there's actually empirical research from a site called 538.com. Noah (laughs) Davis and Michael Lopez in 2015, they wrote a great story called Hockey Refs Are Out to Get You, parentheses, if they already got the other guy, which is a great, uh, great story, (laughs) great headline. But basically, they found that uh, essentially the probability of the next penalty being called on the home team is pretty dependent on whether or not the home team has more more or less penalties called on them already in the game. So if more penalties have been called on the home team, then the odds of the next penalty being on the home team is lower. And I'm talking like uh, at least 10, 10 to 15 percentage points lower than, than usual. And then it swings in the other direction. If the away team has more penalties, it could be as much as uh, 10 to 15 uh, or more than 15 percentage points higher chance of the next penalty being on the home team in that case. So we know that referees play around with who they're looking to call things on to try to even things up. The thing that's weird in this one is that it wasn't especially lopsided. And we don't necessarily know, like, you know, whether Detroit had complained to the league and, and, you know, they were told to kind of look for penalties. uh, And maybe that's why the league was so quick to kind of tamp down on this. Or maybe, I mean, you think of referees named Tim, you think of Tim Donaghy in the NBA, uh, who was literally found betting on games uh, and uh, in the past. 
So that also comes to mind, but we don't know anything about it. So that's sort of uh, where we're at with it. But yeah, he had had situations before, like where Greg Wachinski, who's now the ESPN reporter, I believe when he was with Yahoo or something like that, he uh, basically got drunk with Tim Peel and Tim Peel said a lot of stuff uh, about like that the league doesn't want its officials saying about how games are officiated uh, and they got photographed together at a bar uh, and so he got in trouble for that uh, and I think in general he's just been known as like a sort of not well uh, well respected referee over the years. Yeah, That's I believe he I believe he was suspended after that photo. Um and then also he is sort of the only NHL ref uh semi-casual little more intensely invested fan knows by name. Mm. So he's like the Ed Hockley of the NHL but in a bad way? Yeah. <laughs> like not known for his his amazing bicep. M- more known for his inability to correctly do his job right. <laughs> Pretty and much, I, I most, believe that's it. Yeah, most hockey referees are known for their thigh muscles rather than their biceps. Anyway, those guys skate a lot. They're in great shape. I had a question. Like, while we're kind of on the topic, I was wondering where hockey referees come from. Because my understanding is they are professional referees. These are not part-timers. This is not the kind of thing that you can do part-time, right? Yeah, uh, because the NFL, I mean, I think even they've done away with the sort of like, oh, you've got a Gene Steratore referees college basketball games on the side and they are sort of full-time professional referees now which is kind of amazing that that was a thing until like pretty recently um but yeah for hockey it's like there's so many games going on uh you know it's not just a one time a week thing that you sort of have to have like you know full-time refs do it yeah i think it was a. Uh... First of all, I, I will defend the part-time refs thing. I think that that's great. I think that I think that it's like like the classic like ah, uh, you know, Cincinnati style. I'm just a lawyer who's been thrust into this position of of, you know, calling this football game and I'm going to do the best that I damn can. Like I just think that that's just actually a great vibe and I miss it. Um but I guess what I'm wondering with this is like what is the reputation of referees and like are they former hockey like <laughs> I know that like in in wrestling the referees are not actually referees they're just wrestlers but like i was wondering like what's the word on on nhl referees what's what, what kind of job application resume do you got to show up to to hq with in order to get a gig in stripes you know do you want to go emily <laughs> um oh well, i just have to say there's a very specific skill set required of an uh, NHL referee and it is being able to properly time seeing the puck and the action coming towards you and being able to hop up on the tiny little shelf that is the boards to get out of the way of the puck. <laughs> yeah, I mean they are like in I, I cannot stress enough that they are probably the most athletic of all the sport officials if you think about <laughs> the fact that they are skating around especially the referee, the linesmen kind of have to be near the lines at least and kind of move between those two to see whether someone is offside or not, which is also a very uh, unique skill uh, to be able to see that they do not always get right and sometimes uh, very flagrantly don't get right and they have to kind of review things. Uh, But the referee is like, you know, doing like incredible, you know, end-to-end skating action throughout the whole a game and i think they do they're probably the archetype is like uh you know former junior player or minor league player or something that's like too small 
to to play hockey but is like a fantastic skater and um you know wants to stay in the game and is willing to grind it out officiating for little to no pay at lower rungs of the ladder as they kind of move up that's what i think of but you know i don't necessarily know what like you know Carrie Frazier's background or, you know, some of the random like referees that, that we do know the names of, uh, we should look up Tim, uh, uh, good old Tim's, uh, background, see, see what his, uh, situation is. Yeah. I have to think that NHL refs is probably the most dangerous of the ref, uh, opportunities you can do. That feels there. True. You have to break up the fights. There's pucks yes. flying everywhere. It, it feels dangerous. Face. I mean, some some player, I was watching a game in the last week where a player had to get stitches because he got hit in the face by a puck just sitting on the bench. So pucks are pretty dangerous, just to, you know, kind of reiterate that for the 7,000th time. Hey, so listener, imagine I'm Walt Hickey. This is a public yeah, right. service announcement from a couple of goons. Now, I know that you see pucks all over and you're just like, ah, they're just, they're nice and safe. They're not. They're very dangerous. This has been a message from a couple dangerous. of goons. The more you know. Yeah. So being out there for the whole game and they don't take shifts. They they are out there the whole time with that dangerous projectile sticks kind of, you know, flying everywhere. Um, it, it's it's not a uh, it, it's a pretty thankless job and it's a kind of a dangerous job. Yeah, it, I'm kind of growing in respect the more that you describe them. I think that like in many other fields, the refs are kind of not necessarily regarded as, as the best, but um, you, you've kind yeah, of think one... about baseball umpires at oh. the opposite end of the spectrum yeah. where like they have a tendency to sometimes be obese. I don't think you can be obese and be a hockey referee. I think you probably have a BMI that is like, you know, super, super low uh, after all that skating. That would be my guess. I wonder if the like, okay, let me put it this way. Do you think that the least athletic hockey ref could be the most athletic baseball umpire in like a decathlon. Probably. I don't know exactly who fits each of those criteria, but I would be <laughs> just based on uh, just, just off the cuff. I would say probably, I don't know. Somebody in the comments or, you know, a listener will probably be like, well, actually there's a former <laughs> Olympic decathlete who is an MLB umpire. To be like, okay, fine. Oh, no. I didn't yeah. see that coming. But barring that, I would say uh, my vote is with the hockey ref. There you go. All right. So we, uh, so again, we are graced by a guest this week. And one thing that we kind of wanted to talk just in general about this week, which Emily, you know a whole lot about, is the National Women's Hockey League and the Isabel Cup, which is coming up. Uh, do I have that right? Yes, um, they are resuming play on it. They previously started in a sort of tournament format in Lake Placid uh, probably about a month ago and then um, had some COVID issues and sort of decided to pull the plug, uh, take a breather, let everyone quarantine a little bit. Um, And they're starting up again this time in Boston, not Lake Placid, um, for two semifinals a final and it'll all be on our beloved nbcsn god bless <laughs> so who's in who who remains what, what, how, what when if folks are just going to be tuning into this like what's kind of the the situation as it stands as we kind of enter this last bit yeah so there's four teams left you have the first seed is the toronto six who this is their first season playing 
in the NWHL. They are a recent expansion team. Uh, the first one in the NWHL based in Canada, of course, going off of a whole long history of uh, Canadian women's hockey teams and leagues um, that have folded and started up and folded again, um, which has now led us to our current situation with the NWHL. So we have the Toronto Six. They'll be playing the fourth seed Boston Pride. Um, and then in the other game, you have the second seed uh, Minnesota Whitecaps, another sort of long storied women's hockey franchise that has spanned multiple leagues. They have also been independent and just played a bunch of exhibition games. Um, and they will be playing the three seed Connecticut Whale, um, named after our beloved uh, Hartford Whalers. We love the whale, no matter what. We're big fans of the Whalers. I do also like how how they named it after the animal that was hunted rather than the hunters. That is a that that is a great creative choice. Good move. Yes, they. I believe when it first came out um, that the NWHL was starting out, and they announced that they were having a team in Connecticut. They, I think, tried to get permission to use the original Hartford Whalers logo, and I think it got pretty far. They do use Brass Bonanza. Um, and the logo is, in fact, very cute. And it has what basically looks like Fudgy the Whale is in it. Um, it's great. Also, their jerseys are gorgeous. And they have all these, like, ship imagery in them, waves. It's great. This is wonderful. So I, I kind of detect a fandom there. Like, I guess if we're going to just kind of, what what's our rooting interest here? Can you sell me on each of the four teams? Yes. Um, so if you want the sort of lovable underdog, that's definitely the Connecticut Whale. With them, you get great uniforms, you get Brass Bonanza, you get the legend of the Connecticut Whalers franchise sort of adjacent towards it. Um, Playing for them right now, Caitlin Russ has been able to deliver goals in really clutch moments. Abby Ives has been really sharp in goal. And then Alyssa Wolffeeler leads the team in goals. So that's the Connecticut Whale. Um, They have not won the Isabel Cup yet despite so the nwhl has been around for a couple seasons it was established in 2015 so they've yet to win the big trophy and then in other sort of teams you've got the boston pride who have won before they were sort of a dominant force in women's hockey partially because the team usa training center was based in boston (laughs) so both so like the history of Boston women's hockey has been very strong in that the Boston Blades won for the CWHL when they had all the Team USA players there. And then the NWHL started up and all the Boston-based Team USA players moved there and then they won. Um, and then now much of uh, Team USA is not involved in the NWHL, part of a larger labor disputes factioning of women's hockey that has led to them start the professional women. Women's Hockey Players Association, which is its own separate thing that does events and exhibition games and sort of all of that separate with the goal of launching a sustainable league. But the Boston Pride, still awesome. They have a really badass uniform. It's black. It's got like yellow gradients. Um, if you're rooting for another championship for Boston in general, say, Boston needs another championship. It's, it's been one a while. That team needs it. It's, it's just the city needs it. <laughs> yes. Yes. We've been in a drought for so long. <laughs> Forgotten what it feels like to, to be a champion. It really just, I don't know anymore. 
I literally watched The Fighter last weekend, so I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> yes. Um, as far as players on the Pride, Kaylee Fratkin is a defender. She leads the Pride in assists, plus minus, block shot. She also leads the league in some of those, so she is sort of a standout uh, for Defender of the Year. So she's going to be really awesome to watch. Um, and then the Pride will be facing the Toronto Six, who I've already discussed are a brand new team. A return for Toronto women's hockey. So if you want the fresh-faced newcomers with something to prove, really cool uniforms. They've got black and gold and red. They look really rad. They are sort of the favorites to win. They average 41 shots a game. They've got Elaine Truly in goal. Michaela Graham-Mentis leads the team in goals and has the highest points per game average in the league. So they are number one seed. They're definitely the favorites here. And then they'll be playing the Minnesota Whitecaps, who, like I sort of said, have existed through, I believe, the Western Women's Hockey League, which existed years ago. And then they were independent, got pulled into the NWHL. They have sort of been the hub for women's hockey in the Midwest, while generally the leagues have been based in Canada and sort of New England. So that's where they came in. They moved into the NWHL a couple of years ago. They were going to be in the championship game for 2020 against the Pride. That got canceled due to COVID last year. So they are coming in ready to get their due. They feel like they've earned it. It's time for them to actually get the cup. And they're still the, are they the defending champs uh, from like two years ago? Is that right? Yes, I believe so. I have to look it up. There's also in the league, there are the Buffalo Buttes. And the, I believe now they're called the Metropolitan Riveters. They were previously the New York Riveters, except now they play in New Jersey. So they are now the Metropolitan Riveters. But they also have a really badass jersey. That did not stop the Giants and Jets. Yeah, just I, putting that out. That, there. There's no. We, I think that we actually like own a piece of land. It's like the Vatican or like an embassy where it's like technically ours. It just happens to reside in their territory. Like, I don't, it's a whole geopolitical situation. I don't need to go into it. But um, <laughs> they do, I believe, share facilities with the New Jersey Devils, which I believe probably impacts uh, that naming convention. Devils are like, not not under our roof. <laughs> You're not going to exactly. get away with that New York stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it's sad for Buffalo that they are not uh, that they've been eliminated. Um, but, you know, we're, again, we're not going to trash Buffalo too much. Uh, I think each of us should pick uh, a team. Uh, that that we're going to be rooting for a different one, and um, you know, ride or die with it. Uh, yeah. Over the next uh, couple weeks, as you know, I'm extremely good at picking teams, teams that win, teams that have a great <laughs> bit of momentum. When there's a when there's maybe four teams that I have to choose from and could have an interest in, I always pick the correct one. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. I did. Teams not. that win nine nothing. Yeah, that's right. I'd probably live closer to where the Islanders play than the Ra- Rangers, but hey, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so who, again, like you, you, you actually sound like very effusive about each of these teams, Emily. So which one do you actually like, which one are you backing? Um, so I actually have a very close personal tie to the Boston pride and that I, um, actually designed their first season Jersey that what? they wore. What? Yeah. <laughs> Talk about what? burying the lead. No, back up, back up, back up. What? Wow. Yeah, so when the league was announced, they um, did a open call for submissions for jersey designs. I submitted. I 
then they pulled some finalists and then it was put to a public vote. I won. They used a very wow. similar jersey to mine uh, the first season. The next season, they basically did a alternate colorway, but sort of the general vibe was the same. Um, they've since rebranded. It's definitely a different look, but I still have a lot of affection uh, for the pride. So That's I got to go with them. <laughs> That's, That's so good. incredible. All right. Neil, you have the most like riding, like you have the most history in hockey, I would say, out of the two of us. So I, I can't, I'm going to give you deference as, as to which one you want to grab. Yeah, I do have something you know, that I, might be able to sway both of oh, you guys. Oh, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Minnesota Whitecaps do have, I think, well, the Buttes have a mascot, but the Whitecaps are sort of the only one with a big mascot. Mm. His name is Cappy. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Um, <sighs> All right. You have my attention. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> I'm looking at the picture now. Cappy. He Boy, is Cappy. a... First of all, I haven't seen a picture yet. It's like an anthropomorphic uh, hockey that, puck. Is that a Pokemon? Wears a... <laughs> no, it's a hockey puck. It's uh, a helmet. With a helmet. <laughs> but that to puck protect is... from other pucks. The no. puck is inside the helmet. No, Neil, you totally... coming from inside the helmet. Neil, you fucked up. No, the helmet is to protect the puck from hits. When the puck plays hockey, they use a human skull as the implement <laughs> with which they score. And obviously, well, in this situation, whatever side universe we've plucked Cappy out of, uh, the, the, he needs to be protected from the human skulls that are used in hockey. Well, that's a throw. That's a throwback because the original, uh, the earliest forms of, if not hockey, then stick and ball or even soccer <laughs> type of uh, games did use human skulls uh, as the, uh, the 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 instrument of the sport. Fun fact for everyone. So your ancient Aztec hockey was played with with human skulls. Uh, Cappy, you know, I I don't know how I feel about Cappy because uh, does does the the whale have they have a mascot too, right? Do they have a, a, a cutesy whale? So there is. Or is that just on the jersey? There is Pucky, um, but I don't believe. He is officially uh, the mascot of the Connecticut whale. He is sort of the larger um, Hartford Whalers extended universe mascot. Ah, I see. I also love that the puck is named Cappy and the whale is named Pucky. (laughs) Uh, So I I really feel like I've been sort of skating around the, uh, the, the central point here, which is, we are a pro brass bonanza um, podcast and we're, we're sort of a pro cute whale podcast. So I'm going to have to root for the Connecticut whale. Sorry if I stole your potential pick Walt. No, but I'm going to go whale. I mean, it, I mean, listen, I, would I, would I be able to stop you from picking that? No. Will I play brass bonanza to, to commemorate the moment? Sure. <laughs> yes. Screw you! I'm going with Minnesota. This team rules. I've seen I've seen Cappy, and he, the best thing that I found is that there's a picture of Cappy, who obviously the team is Minnesota, and he's next to the the mascot of the Minnesota Wild, um, which is a, a a lion or tiger of some sort, which is weird because you would anyway. Um, but the 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 facial articulations of these mascots is perfect because Cappy 
is extremely intense. I've I've rarely seen a more intense mascot in my life. He's very like the, the look on his face is, is is conniving, if not menacing. Whereas the other thing is just kind of a big goofy like like this thing was plucked out of a convention is what I'm trying to get across here. Like the, the Minnesota wild mascot. And he looks like a friend who's like a little bit too uncomfortable to be immediately next to his extremely intense friend. And um, that's the kind of energy that I, that I can back here. So absolutely with a bullet going with my team in Minnesota. Um, this is wonderful. I love this mascot. <laughs> yeah, it does. He's get. I do love that juxtaposition. I found the same uh, picture that Cappy tweeted. I think that's also uh, uh, an important note here. Is like Cappy is very intense. <laughs> very up Cappy on Twitter. is happy to be standing next to the wild mascot and is like tweeting it out and and kind of into it. It's notable that the wild mascot is not the one that tweeted it. The wild mascot is just sort of like, hey, yeah, this is great. Uh, when can I get away from Cappy? I'm pretty freaked. The out. wild mascot has the <laughs> facial, uh, like the facial, like emotion of an accountant who won a contest to meet his favorite wrestler, and the wrestler is a little bit too intense, and as a result. Uh, you know, Cappy is just right there, and then uh, and then the the wild person is is just like, do I get do I get my t shirt and can I go now? It's it's wonderful. This is an energy that we really support. <laughs> um. All right. Cool. So, when are these teams uh playing, and when do I claim victory? Are we putting a bet on this? <laughs> So games uh, resume uh, on the 26th, which is, I believe, Friday. Um, and then Saturday night is the final. So Hell yeah. very exciting. And so they'll be competing for the Isabel Cup, which we did not get to discuss um, on our trophy episode. Um, there is some lore behind the Isabel Cup um, that I had meant to actually bring up on that one. But so I put in the chat two photos of the Isabel Cup, and you will notice um, that in one, the cup has handles, and in the other, the cup no longer has handles. Wait, what? <laughs> what happened there? Um, so it's a bit of a, a league legend. Uh, I believe there was a Tumblr specifically called Isabel Cup Handles trying <laughs> to understand the mystery. Um, but I reached out to one of my uh, connections who covers the league. Uh, shout out to SB Nations, the Ice Garden, which is basically the hub of all women's hockey coverage. They are amazing. Um, who said basically, I guess at one point when taking it out of the case, one handle broke off and they basically very quickly had to decide <laughs> to take <laughs> the other off. And just roll with it. So now you can, the logos for the current Isabel Cup playoffs features no handles. The logos for the early Isabel Cup playoffs features handles. It is um, also sort of a broader metaphor, I think, for uh, the NWHL and its history, um, which has had some ups and downs, but they're still going. They're currently the only professional women's hockey league. Um, and so I'm excited, uh, for their playoffs to play out. Yeah. What tier would we put, um, the Isabel cup in, uh, from, from a design perspective and from, it looks drinkable. It looks I think extremely while drinkable. This, it, so it a, an a immediately. Liquid. A. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Um, one of the other cool things about it is that there is a photo engraved on one of the little plaques up front. If you remember, I was obsessed with all the different little plaque uh, choices of sort of early women's hockey players from way back. So it's a historical archival photo on there, as well as information of everyone that has won the Isabel Cup since. As far as design, it's pretty standard. I would say like a B tier, but I think the legend of the handles elevates it to an A tier for me. Yeah, I like it when like a trophy or even just like an entity is able to like really roll with the punches. Like like Venus de Milo, perfect example. Like clearly that's not the intended end of that particular sculpture, but it's so much better because it's you know, it's endured, right? It's sticking around. And like I think um, that adds a lot of fun character to it. And I like the Isabel Cup a lot. It looks extremely drinkable. Yes. And like the Stanley Cup, it sort of picks up bumps and bruises along the way. It's just part of the history. Yeah. And and I also like that it's named after Lady Isabel Gathorn Hardy, who was one of the first known women to play hockey. And she was the daughter of Lord Stanley of Preston, <sighs> uh, who awarded the Stanley Cup. So I think that makes it an A tier in terms of history, you know, and, and legacy. That's so good. It's not S tier. That's really good. That's a clever name. I like that a lot. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about like the league? I know that like I have, I have seen them in the news recently, in particular because again I know that they're the CWHL had issues, and then that resulted in kind of like what's the past couple of years been like? You've kind of alluded to it being a bit bumpy. Yeah, so women's hockey in general has sort of been a little bumpy. You could sort of also compare it to professional women's soccer, which has seen. Uh, thinking just back to 2000, you had the WUSA, the WSL, and currently the NWSL. So women's hockey has been very similar. So you had the Central Ontario Women's Hockey League in the 90s. You had a National Women's Hockey League from 97 to 2007. The aforementioned Western Women's Hockey League and then the Canadian Women's Hockey League. So there's been a lot and they've been up and down. You've had teams sort of last from one to another picked up as one sort of folds. So it's been a little bumpy. The Canadian women's hockey league was sort of the longest lasting, most successful of the prior leagues. They had 12 seasons of operation, but they also didn't pay their players. So they were giving sort of bonuses and stipends, but they never really were able to pay women's hockey players a sort of professional salary, something that they could live off of, which is, then resulted in players having to have second jobs, juggling stuff. We even still see that to this day in the NWHL. You had players who are teachers literally teaching from the bubble in Lake Placid. Um, you have that. There's, I think there's one player who's an EMT I remember reading about. So there's sort of, it's a history of women's hockey of not being able to fully turn this into a career. Although there have been a couple Players, mostly goalies, who have gone and played in men's leagues. You had Shannon Sabados, who played uh, in a couple. Nora Ratu played overseas. Um, and then Kendall Coyne Schofield, who I think is amazing. Also, her husband is giant, and she is extremely tiny. They just became part of the ownership group for the Chicago Red Stars. So she played in a like summer league that was basically set up in Chicago that like Patrick Kane was involved in. And it was just a bunch of offseason NHLers. And she was involved there. But in general, it's really not sustainable for women to play hockey professionally. 
So the NWHO was established with the goal of paying them a living wage salary. With that came some bumpy roads, some not great conditions, some sort of just general growing pains of being a upstart brand new league with a very lofty goal um, that they weren't fully able to provide. And as a result, and with the sort of weird dynamic of having two competing leagues. So you had a bunch of players from the CWHL jump ship, join the NWHL. Then you had some go back. So like Hillary Knight played for the Boston blades. Then she moved to the Boston pride. Then she moved to the Montreal Lake. Cana- uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it in French, the former Montreal stars. Um, so going back and forth and back and forth, sort of looking for the best conditions that they could have You also had sort of the most vocal of the sort of Canada, USA national teams fighting to get better working conditions, better pay, health insurance, all of that. And that sort of led to what they have sort of said that they really wanted was they wanted the the NHL to step in, sort of like the NBA and the WNBA. Mm. But the NHL, with this sort of two competing leagues thing, was like, we are not going to get involved in this. We don't want to choose. We don't want any part of this. You guys figure it out. Then the CWHL folded. All the players that wanted the NWH or the NHL to get involved still wanted the NHL to get involved. The NHL didn't. So that's when they spun off and started the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. Got it very it's years and years of up and down folding starting lots of lots of history that's complicated but so i guess that this again like we had a productive conversation when i asked this question to neil but how do you feel about gary bettman and his and his promises and what he has accomplished for 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 the sport that you like (laughs) yeah it's the sort of the NHL not really willing to pick a side has been frustrating. They have done some opportunities with women's hockey. Um, they had a winter women's classic. So when the winter classic was held at Gillette stadium, this is back when there was the NHL or the NWHL and the CWHL, they held sort of a meeting where the Boston pride played the Montreal CWHL team, which was sort of a big deal. Cause it was in the first year of the NWHL's existence, the two leagues were meeting together, playing this event run by the NHL. We've also seen professional women's hockey union play at the all-star game. So back when they did that sort of three on three tournament uh, a year or two ago, they did. Which was great. It was so fun. The The NHL is the only league that knows how to do an all-star game. And it's because they just were like, we're not even going to make it a regular hockey game. <laughs> But so they had women's hockey players demonstrate some of the skill challenges. And then they did a little tournament um, during the event, which was very exciting, a very fun showcase. Um, They trotted out the footage of Kendall Coyne uh, doing the fastest skater route many, many times. Um, But it was very fun. So it's good seeing those opportunities come up. It's really exciting to see the NWHL be on NBCSN. The Women's Hockey Players Union has also been on broadcast television, which is exciting. The NWHL has started. They partnered with Twitch, so they do all their broadcasts on Twitch, which is very exciting and very well done. And I think tapping into a new market. That's really so, clever. 
it's it's really smart. Now, are they any closer to, you know, unification or trying to kind of work out some kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, arrangement that would get them past this impasse? Or do they, would that even be a good thing, you know, is, is uh, trying to kind of unify and get the NHL to support some consolidated league like a goal they should be trying to pursue? Or, or should they be trying to do something else? It's it's a little unclear. It is um, there's been some sort of recent developments in the NWHL where Danny Ryland, who was sort of the initial um, sort of power behind the starting of the NWHL, the initial commissioner, she was also in charge of some of the teams, etc. She recently stepped down. She was sort of a controversial figure that many members of the Women's Hockey Players Association have sort of not been a fan of very openly. Um, so I am hoping, especially that maybe with that movement, it'll start getting a little bit more of a productive conversation for a long time. It has really been this really frustrating, um, thing as a fan watching and sort of following online of like almost like turf wars or sort of like, you can't be a fan of one or the other. And it's just like, it's hard to sort of figure out a place, uh, in it, but I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah. That's so that's this weekend. Uh and so it's sorry, you said it's Boston playing Toronto and then Connecticut playing Minnesota. Yes, Boston plays Toronto, Connecticut plays Minnesota and then uh the winners will face each other. Nice. Yeah, are there any favorite beyond so I know Toronto's the favorite. Who's the favorite in the Connecticut Minnesota's game? Between, um, I guess, Neil and I now. So, Neil- not Connecticut. Yes. <laughs> so, Connecticut did sort of see their Lake Placid time cut a little short. So, we almost don't know exactly what their full potential is. Also, with the sort of break in time between Lake Placid and the game starting up again, some players have gotten healthy again. So, they'll be playing when they maybe wouldn't have been. So, it's really hard to know and it is exciting. It's just, I believe it's just single game one game elimination. This isn't a series. So it really just comes down to how everyone's playing during that day. It's basically like an instant game seven and nothing is better in hockey than game seven. And we get three of them in two days. That's terrific. I like that a lot. (laughs) The, uh, Neil, we do have to bet something over this, you know, so you could either send your traditional Connecticut hedge funds and I can send you a wonderful Minnesota thing or, or we or, what do you well, think i was thinking like since fudgy the whale was invoked Ooh. by you emily that um the the loser would have to well certainly if if the whale lose i would have to buy you a fudgy the whale but yeah. i don't know if that would be reciprocated i haven't had a carbon uh, since like three months way. the minute that the moderna vaccine came out i was like it's time to get the body into shape uh but michael will love a fudgy the whale so let's just bet a a uh, a chocolate whale <laughs> to the winner of this game get some skin in the game on this um it's a deal it's a deal it's a bet <laughs> right there uh <laughs> all right um got only a few more minutes left so other than you know the games on friday and saturday anything neil that you're gonna be watching emily that you're gonna be watching well, I mean, I'm excited about uh, seeing the Golden Knights and the Avalanche play. Uh, I believe they play tomorrow, and then they also play again on um, on Saturday. 
So, uh, you know, in, in keeping with the, the team of the week theme, I think those are uh, two of the best three teams in the league and they're both in the same division and they're both sort of gunning for, uh, for, for the larger picture of the Stanley Cup race in addition to just divisional squabbles. So, I don't know. I always like when those two teams play each other. That's fun. Emily, are you watching anything? Um, I will probably watch my Boston Bruins start playing again. Uh, hopefully They're allowed healthy. to practice again. I think tonight they were able to practice. I hope they Knock are healthy wood. and quarantined um, and get vaccinated soon. Um, and uh, outside of that, I think I will probably still be in a women's basketball uh, land. What's basketball? <laughs> You know, they take the skull and they throw it into a hoop instead of <laughs> shoot it into the net. <laughs> Damn it, Neil. That's good. Uh, yeah, no, ma- the, the madness of March is happening. When is it over? I, again, I'm not a March Madness person. <laughs> it's over like first week of April. Hell yeah. Love to see it. Um, did Villanova get knocked out yet? No, they're still alive. All right. Good for my family. Um, but yeah, cool. Um, so that about brings us to the end of this week. Um, Neil, do you want to plug your GitHub? <laughs> well, Emily, did you have, you, you had uh, one other thing? Oh, yeah, I, had sorry. One, I had one last thing um, in looking at sort of the history of women's hockey leagues and sort of defunct teams. I uh, discovered a team that I didn't know existed and that the uh, Calgary Inferno of the CWHL they were formerly known as the Alberta Honey Badgers, uh-huh. and I just needed yes. to share that. Yes. I love how they went with, like, oh, you're the Flames. That's cute. We're the Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> and Honey Badger, yeah, like, I- I'd like to know uh, the story behind that change. Like, they moved away <laughs> from Honey Badger? Because normally the- you would just up the ante by being like, you're the Inferno? Well, we're the Honey Badgers. So <laughs> <laughs> we're impervious to your fire. Because we have extra thick, uh, you know, skin on on our on ourselves. <sighs> Wonderful. We've all seen that video. We've all seen that. Fact. We all played Pokemon. We know how that fire versus sand true goes. Um, but either way, um, yeah. Thank you for coming on, Emily. Where can folks find you? Um, yeah, I am at five thirty eight, uh, where I make uh, art and pretty pictures, basically. Also, occasionally I, I chat hockey um, there, um, and on Twitter at underscore Shem. So that's underscore S C H E M. I should have worn my five E the Fox shirt. I have that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Thank you, Tony Chow and Vanessa Diaz for getting me that. <laughs> Hey, you're part of the family. Yeah, I, I, I texted Tony. I was like, "Man, morally, I can't purchase this." <laughs> and they're they're kind enough to get to get a brother a code. But um, uh, and Neil, you are also at the what's that blog's name? Uh, five three eight. Cool. Uh, but also, uh, really, it's just all about the GitHub, which is Neil Payne five three eight. But I have uh, NHL player ratings and team ratings on there. Uh, and yeah, our friend Parker Quinn. I don't know if he's a friend of the show or not, but he did make a, uh, a nice shiny visualization of the playoff odds model. So thanks to him. Uh, and yeah, you can just find a bunch of data on there and, and go wild. Yeah. Uh, I am on the Twitter and at insider and at numlock. You can find me at any of those places and probably several of them at a given time. Cause life is wild. Um, that's all that we got for this week. Uh, see you next week on a couple of goons. Mm-hmm.